The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five red across the screen. As energy and inflation worries hit stocks once again, European markets down big. Energy prices soaring around the world, natural gas and even coal hitting new highs. As panic buying sets in ahead of the winter, oil nearing 80 bucks a barrel. Facebook under fire. Mark Zuckerberg finally breaking in silence, responding to accusations they put profit over everything else. On Capitol Hill, the Senate preparing for a key vote on the debt ceiling. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warns of a potential economic catastrophe if it fails. And on a much, much lighter note, have we finally reached peak pumpkin spice? The latest consumer statement jump in on the pumpkin bandwagon. It is Wednesday, October 6th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. I promise much more on that big pumpkin spice story in a moment. Right now, we've got to kick off your Wednesday with U.S. stock futures down, particularly NASDAQ and big tech down pretty big. In fact, look at that, 202 points on the NASDAQ futures. That is a more than 1% drop for the NASDAQ. Dow futures down 318 in the losses in just the last 30 minutes. Because remember, at this hour, not a lot of volume. Not a lot of traders trading the futures market right now. They're starting to come in. They're starting to get on their computers. And guess what? That selling has accelerated, certainly. And that selling now with Dow futures off 1%, NASDAQ futures off well more than 1%. It looks like it could be Monday all over again, I'm sorry to say. All right, a lot of key themes here. Particularly, you've got Rising yields, the 10-year yield now back above 1.55%. And then there is maybe the biggest economic story in the world right now, and that is spiking energy prices. Natural gas at its highest level since 2008. And that is just in the U.S. where we're at $6.40. But get this, natural gas hitting all-time highs around the world. In fact, in Europe and in Asian trading, Natural gas is going on the spot market for $25 or even more than $30 as they run low on power. You've also got oil on the rise as well. WTI traded crude here near its highest level in 2014. And there is a lot of talk that because of these high, sky-high natural gas and coal prices, that we actually could see power plants in China convert from natural gas back to oil and increase the demand for oil. Either way, this European natural gas and and energy story is a big one, and we will get more on all of this with Bank of America's head of commodities research in moments. But right now, let us focus now on Europe. 
because as we said, European energy and electricity prices are soaring to levels never seen before. In fact, on some ways, if you look at European power prices, they are hitting the equivalent, if you convert, of 200 U.S. dollars per barrel of oil. And that's hitting stocks. Juliana Tatelbaum is standing by in our London newsroom with more. A lot of red on the screen, Juliana, behind you. And I know it's not getting a lot of attention here, although we're ringing the bell. I got to imagine this is a huge story where you are. This is a big deal, Brian, absolutely. And my inbox has been flooded this morning with analyst notes saying precisely that this spike in natural gas prices here in Europe is a big deal, namely because it is now becoming a global problem. As you said, we're seeing record high natural gas prices in Asia as well, and it's even feeding through to the U.S., which, of course, has seen a much more contained rise in natural gas prices thus far. So let me take you to the market reaction. The stock 600 down 1.7 percent to this morning, so steep losses for European markets. This is the picture from a sector perspective. Every sector in the market is trading lower. Banks out in front, the most resilient and still down eight tenths of a percent. On the downside, travel and leisure leading losses, very vulnerable, of course, to rising oil prices. Uh, Autos down about 2.5 percent and retail round out the worst performers. Let me take you now to natural gas prices. The Dutch uh, contracts here, as well as the UK wholesale gas contracts, up a further 24 percent this morning for the European market and here in the UK, 25% higher. And this comes after uh, major rises yesterday as well. This morning, the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen spoke to the natural gas crunch and talked about how it highlights the importance of the energy transition. Take a listen to what the Commission President had to say. It is a serious issue. I think we have to be very clear that the gas prices are skyrocketing. And, uh, but the renewables, um, the prices have um, decreased over the last years and are stable. Well, Brian, the natural gas crunch and the rise in energy prices clearly a focal point for investors here in Europe today. And we are on a negative start to the trading session. Brian. Yeah. And again, I mean, with all due respect to the, to the bureaucrat you just had on there, they're coming back and being like, renewables, renewables. That's part of the problem is that the wind has not been blowing in Italy and off the, off the North Sea and Norway. They just have not gotten as much power from the renewables. It has been sort of inconsistent there as well. Is there, I know you guys are on rolling power contracts, as I understand it, Juliana, where your, your, your bill will be in a locked, locked rate and then it could you know, adjust. Is there a lot of people's concerns that when these fixed rate plans roll over, You guys are going to get a really nasty sticker shock. Well, absolutely. I mean, here in the UK, Brian, we've seen uh, a number of smaller um, retail energy suppliers go under over the last couple of months as they struggle with the fact that they can't raise prices for consumers um, higher yeah. than the, the government-imposed price cap. So it is a really difficult situation. We've seen a lot of the big suppliers take out those smaller ones. And now the question is, to what extent yeah. the government should intervene? And uh, it, it's, a, it's a huge problem with a lot of focus, Brian. Yeah, and kind of sad there. You heard that politician basically ignoring the problem and and just sort of hitting talking points. Juliana Tatelbaum, thank you very much. All right, why don't we tie this now all together with the markets and your money and start the show off with Ryan Payne, president of Payne Capital Management. And uh, a lot of pain in Europe, not so much, thankfully, here, Ryan. (laughs) We've got a little bit more energy independence. 
Are you worried that this sort of global energy shock could roll over here and hit consumer spending, consumer confidence, and maybe even the macro markets? Well, I think what's going to happen here, Brian, is I actually think it's more of a virtuous circle right now because you got to remember the consumer in the U.S. is in great shape. The balance sheet right now, I mean, look at American households. They have $2 trillion more on their balance sheet than they did before the pandemic. Compliments of the government printing money. Thank you, Uncle Sam. Um, and wages are going up. So I think you're, what you're going to see here, and this is why I think the economy is going to continue to boom, you know, it's starting to boom, is the fact that consumers are going to be able to, to take those price hikes. They're not going to be as price sensitive. So you know, you're going to be able to see companies increase their, you know, their prices, and you're going to see the consumer be able to take it. And that is inflationary. But at the same time, you know, you've got a very, very strong consumer here. And I think that's that's all going to work out for the foreseeable future. It all goes to the overall inflation story, Ryan. And it sounds like, you know, your point is well noted because, yeah, prices have gone up. And we're going to show that tomorrow. We've got this wall of inflation you're going to want to see. But wages have also gone up. So maybe, hopefully, maybe the American consumer, the American family is going to be able to withstand it. Sounds like you think they will be and that maybe American stocks are going to do okay. Does that mean that you are advocating for domestic equities, small caps, perhaps? I mean, anything cyclical. And I was on your show back in the summer of uh, August of last year. You know, oil was, was trading at like $30, $40 a barrel. Um, and, you know, at that point, we were talking about that cyclical trade. And I think that continues here. I mean, if you look at anything going on right now, you've got that re-rotation. We've kind of had a reset, right? We had, maybe it was around like March, we started to see technology stocks outperform again. And then all of a sudden, once the Fed stopped talking about transitory inflation two weeks ago, all of a sudden you blink, 10-year Treasury now is up to 1.5%. You've got oil prices skyrocketing. You've got everyone talking about inflation again. And you're seeing money funnel back into small caps like you just mentioned Cyclical stocks in general are starting to outperform, while tech here is starting to get hammered. And I think that's the longer-term trend, right? We had tech was a very, uh, we'll say, like disinflationary trade that you had for a decade. Now we're in a reinflationary trade, and that's going to last a long time because not just the U.S., we know, printing all this money. It's a global phenomenon, and you're going to see tightening happening around the world. You know, England's already mentioned that they're going to start doing it. Other central banks around the world are mentioning the same thing. So, you know, we're, we're in that what I would call inflationary period. Now, you've got to reposition your portfolio for that. And we, we literally have people talking about $1 trillion coins. The only thing better than a trillion-dollar coin, Ryan, <laughs> is a $2 trillion coin, I guess. Futures, they are down more than 1%, but he remains optimistic longer term, thinks the economy will boom. And, Ryan, we certainly hope you are right. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. All right, well, energy and stocks, definitely some of your top stories, but... That is not all that is going on on this Wednesday morning. So let's get some of this morning's other big headlines, including Mark Zuckerberg finally breaking his silence on Facebook. And for all of this, let's get to Silvana Hanal. Silvana. That's right, Brian. Good morning. So Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is responding to and rejecting claims from whistleblower Francis Haugen that the social network prioritizes profits over user safety. In a blog post yesterday evening following Haugen's testimony on Capitol Hill, Zuckerberg said, quote, it's difficult to see coverage that misrepresents our work and our motives. At the most basic level, I think most of us just don't recognize the false picture of the company that is being painted. 
And just ahead of peak holiday production season, Apple suppliers are warning that further disruptions to energy supplies in China will create havoc in the tech supply chain, including those key to the company's newest iPhone. Several companies have already had to halt or reduce operations in certain Chinese provinces after local authorities restricted the supply of electricity for industrial use until the end of the month. And Norwegian Cruise Line CEO says the company's full fleet of 28 ships will resume service by April, first for the first time since the pandemic grounded the fleet. Norwegian currently has eight ships in service across its three cruise brands, and all on board must provide proof of full vaccination before setting sail. Brian. All right. A lot of cruise makers or or cruise line takers, I guess, Savani, you just made them very happy. Thank you. Hopefully. All right. We'll see you in a few minutes. Sure thing. All right. Take care. All right. We are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. And when we return, much more on the global energy crisis and what is ahead for investors. Bank of America's Francisco Blanche is here to weigh in. Plus, more on Mark Zuckerberg's response to the Facebook whistleblower allegations. Are his comments enough to soothe investors, or should he step down? And later on, a big day in D.C., where the Senate is getting ready for a key vote on making sure the debt ceiling goes up. A very busy hour. Dow futures down. And we're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back and good Wednesday morning. It is 5.15 a.m. And uh, maybe you just want to go back to bed or, or pour yourself a strong cup of coffee because it's looking like Monday all over again. Yesterday, a decent day for equities, but right now we are seeing futures down big. NASDAQ futures, they are down nearly 1.5%. Dow futures off 335 points. But again, all the attention, with all due respect, Dow Jones, is going to be on big tech, the tech stocks. They're the ones that have been driving the market. They're the donkey that has been driving this cart. And we'll see how they do today. And right now, it's not looking great. All right. With that in mind, let us now hit a big global story that is not getting a lot of attention. And that is the situation between China and Taiwan. It is growing more dire and more dangerous by the day, with Beijing increasingly saber-rattling over what it calls a, quote, separatist regime in Taiwan. According to Axios News, in the last few days, China has flown a record 145 fighter jet sorties over Taiwan's air defense zone. 
China's media called it a kind of parade. And when Taiwan asked Australia for potential help in dealing with it, Chinese state media, a la Twitter, asked if Australia was, quote, willing to accompany the Taiwan separatist regime to become cannon fodder, end quote. All of this putting a big test on President Biden. At the same time, the trade war with China still rages on. Let's bring in Jeff Mooney, his former assistant U.S. trade rep for China, man who has lived in China, dealt with Taiwan for many decades. And Jeff, uh, we appreciate it. I know there's a lot going on domestically. So these types of stories, just they, they don't make the headlines like they should. China's been getting very aggressive, at least on paper. Is there a chance of an actual war here? Well, there's always that possibility in the background. This kind of a conflict has been a black swan that uh, people have known about. It's becoming more prominent in the news. I think, frankly, though, we have uh, less to fear from China about what it actually intends, which I think involves uh, intimidation and not an intention to invade in the short term. Um, But we should fear more what China does not intend, and that is the possibility of a military accident now that we have so much military hardware in the air and in the seas near Taiwan. And that could cause us a very serious problem with consequences that we can't predict. Yeah, and, and let's pray that there is no no such accident, as you said, but 145 military jet flyovers. And to put that in perspective, I mean, there have been long stretches where there have been zero. Why do you think they're kind of ramping up this obvious pressure right now? Well, for many years, there's a midline between the mainland and Taiwan. And for many years, that line was not crossed. In the past couple of years, China has started to cross that and has engaged in these kind of intimidating gestures. I think there are several factors here. One is China, of course, regards Taiwan as a renegade province and wants to prevent it from declaring independence. Second, Taiwan has been getting closer relations with the U.S. and other countries, and China wants to warn both Taiwan and those countries. I think nationalism is another major factor. Uh, The current Chinese government has been whipping up nationalism, and especially at this time, October 1st is the Chinese national holiday. The entire week is a holiday. And so that's an interesting time point. And in addition, on October 10th, Taiwan celebrates the anniversary of the 1911 revolt that led to the Republic of China. So that is also a holiday for Taiwan and very timely. And then finally, um, I think this may distract attention from some of the power problems and real estate problems that uh, CNBC covers so well. And then this is an opportunity for the Chinese military to assess its own capabilities and Taiwan's capabilities in the event that they actually do want to go ahead with an invasion, which China has not ruled out. Yeah, and with everything that has gone on in China, and by the way, I guarantee you this segment is blacked out in China. A lot of times we talk about this stuff, and if you're watching CNBC in a hotel in Shanghai, the screen's just going to go dark and, until the censors decide to, to you know, uncensor it, by the way. Uh, what do they want in Taiwan, Jeff? The reality is, I mean, it's like an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that's been gone for years or decades, and yet you can't leave them alone. I mean, Taiwan has been its own zone or country, whatever you want to call it, since 1949. It does not have any, any, any real mineral assets. I mean, although the South China Sea certainly does. W- what is China's ultimate goal in doing all this? Why are they so desperate to prove their, their authority over Taiwan, or as they call it, Chinese Taipei? 
Well, one of Xi Jinping's major goals is what is called national rejuvenation, which he wants to achieve by 2049. And part of that national rejuvenation is bringing back to the homeland all territories that, that have not been subject to Beijing's control. So Macau came back, Hong Kong came back, and Taiwan is the final piece there. And so this is part of Xi Jinping's long-term vision. And Taiwan for China is the most important and the most sensitive issue in the relationship. I was a U.S. diplomat for 20 years, and I can't tell you how many times Chinese officials highlight that in official meetings. So this is something that Western countries frequently underappreciate, but that for China is always top of mind. Yeah, and that is why we are doing it on this program. Jeff Moon, we really appreciate your insight on this important topic, uh, one that does not appear to be going away anytime soon. Jeff, thank you very much. All right, as we head to break here on Worldwide Exchange, futures, they are down across the board. We are seeing NASDAQ futures off more than 200 which is almost one and a half percent. Dow futures off 341. Some of the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ are the names that you know. Again, this is the big tech. This is what happened Monday. And remember, these names, not those, but many of the big tech names like Apple, Amazon, and others, they run all the ETFs that run the entire market. That is why they are so important. We hit them so hard as well. We'll leave you with those names. We'll be back with more right after this short break. Today's big number, 83%. That's the jump in U.S. export sales of cotton to China, compared to last year, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Cotton futures are trading at their highest levels in a decade. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back and good morning. It is 525 on a Wednesday. It's going to be a beautiful ball day in New York with a high of 70 degrees. But that doesn't mean all is well. So right now, let us hit some of this morning's top stories, including... A crushing loss for many New York Yankees fans, which means, Philip Mena, that no matter how beautiful the day may be, they may just want to put their head back under the covers. Yeah, a lot of finger pointing going on here in New York, Brian. We'll get to that in just a morning, just a minute. All right, right now, Missouri, though, has executed Ernest Johnson uh, despite appeals from Pope Francis and two members of Congress who spoke out against it. His attorney and death penalty opponents claimed that he had an intellectual disability and that killing him violated the Constitution. The 61-year-old was convicted in the grisly murder of three convenience store employees in 1994. Missouri's Republican governor governor denied Johnson clemency and the Supreme Court denied him a stay of execution. This morning, federal regulators are revealing concerning new information about the 144,000-gallon oil spill off the coast of Southern California. Preliminary findings revealed that the workers in the offshore's control room received a low-pressure alarm at 2.30 Saturday morning, indicating there was a potential problem. But it wasn't until more than three hours later that the oil rig operators shut down the pipeline. And according to investigators, the company waited three more hours to notify the National Response Center. And finally, a 
rivalry rekindled last night. The Yankees and Red Sox batting leadoff on baseball's postseason. The Sox got to Garrett Cole early and often. That was Xander Bogarts there with a two-run homer. Giancarlo Stanton hit the Green Monster twice, but the Yankees just could not put up any runs on the board to mount a comeback. Boston bounces New York from the playoffs. They win it 6-2. to two. They now move on to play the Rays in the ALDS. So, Brian, uh, the National League wild card game is tonight. We've got the Red Hot Cardinals heading west to Los Angeles to play the 106-win Dodgers in that one-game playoff. Yeah, go Dodgers there. And by the way, I think it's it's not exactly correct, but I think Garrett Cole's contract himself is more or close to more than the entire Rays team. It's $342 million or whatever over 10 years. Unbelievable. Yep, that's about right. That's kind of money. <laughs> oh, I wish, you. buddy. I wish. That's like Powerball type money. All right, me too. All right, Philip, thank you. All right. All right, halfway down, halfway to go, and here's what's coming up here on WEX. It is Monday, perhaps all over again. I'm sorry to say, tech futures, they are ice cold as the global energy crisis heats up. And your morning RBI, putting that energy move into context, you have got to hear. And speaking of hearing, if you have not already, be sure to follow our podcast on all the major podcasting platforms. You're commuting, whatever, you want to listen to it, avoid your children, put the headphones on at home. We don't judge. Check out the podcast today. By the way, Bitcoin is back above 50000 So there's that. We're back after this. It is a Monday-like meltdown. Futures, they are down big. Tech stocks looking to sell off once again as other markets start to pop higher. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg breaking his silence, saying... They do not put profit over kids' safety. But will anyone believe that as Congress keeps digging into the company? And in D.C., Democrats set to try yet again to raise the debt ceiling as the clock ticks on a default deadline. All this as President Biden warns his party they have to bend the rules to get the job done. It is Wednesday, October 6th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. It's exactly 531. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. There's a lot going on. Let us dive right into it. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are just over halfway through the hour. Stock futures, they are at session lows. It's kind of like Monday all over again, right? We are seeing Dow futures down more than 1%, but again, nobody cares about the Dow. They care about technology. Those are the stocks that have led this market higher for the better part of a decade And that is why names like Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Amazon, they matter. And we are seeing tech stocks, that NASDAQ futures, down 1.6% or more than 200 points. Not just here. You got right across the screen in Europe as well. All this coming after sharp gains for U.S. Treasuries overnight. Benchmark 10-year yield now back above 1.5%, its highest level since mid-June. The long bond also higher, the highest level since June as well. So treasuries getting, seeing, selling as well, yields moving up, and stocks moving down. There's a lot of inflation fears out there that may be moving the bond market, and many of those are tied to rising energy prices. Natural gas coming off a 9% jump yesterday, one of the biggest daily jumps we have ever seen. 
and its move in more than the highest in a decade this morning. Oil, by the way, also on the rise. Crude nearly 80 bucks a barrel. We're going to get more. Your RBI, by the way, in a few minutes is all about everything that is going on in global energy markets. And I'm telling you, you're going to want to hear it because you may not believe all the things that are happening at the same time. All right. Well, those are the markets. And there is always a lot more to do on that all day on here on CNBC. But right now, I'm going to hit some of this morning's other big headlines that are happening as well. Savannah now is back with that. Savannah, what else is right, going Brian, on today? I, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> SEC Chair Gary Gensler says his agency has no interest in banning cryptos in the U.S. like China has done, has done already. Speaking before the House Financial Services Committee yesterday, Gensler told lawmakers any sort of ban would be totally up to Congress. Gensler's remarks follow similar comments last week by Fed Chairman Jay Powell that the central bank also had no plans for a crypto ban. Turning overseas, New Zealand's central bank is raising interest rates for the first time in seven years. The Reserve Bank increasing its rate by a quarter of a percent to 0.5 percent as it grapples with heightened property prices and inflation. Economists had expected the hike last month, but the bank held off due to an outbreak of COVID there. And Southwest Gas making it official, announcing it has agreed to buy Questar pipelines from Dominion Energy for nearly $2 billion. The announcement following weekend reports that a deal was in the works. Investor Carl Icahn, who has a significant stake in Southwest Gas, sent a letter to the company this week pushing for it to scrap the deal and instead focus on improving its share price. Brian? Well, thank you very much for that, Silvana. We'll see in a few minutes. Appreciate it. All right. Right now, though, let's get down to D.C. and the stalemate between lawmakers over raising the debt ceiling. Senate Democrats will once again attempt to suspend it later on today. And get this. President Biden says it's a real possibility his party may have to change Senate rules to get the job done. Elon Moy joining us now with a preview of how this all may play out. Elon, what do they mean, bend the rules? Yeah, well, Brian, first of all, Democrats and Republicans have been pursuing two very different strategies for dealing with the debt limit that could result in very different outcomes. Democrats have been wanting to suspend the debt ceiling through the end of next year. They want to just wave it away like it's been done since 2013. But Republicans want to force Democrats to use the reconciliation process, which requires them to set a specific target for the national debt. In other words, Democrats could increase the debt limit, but they would not be able to make it go away. It's hard to have to borrow all the money that they're going to have to borrow to finance their big tax and spending spree. It shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be convenient. Um, they should deliver the votes to do it, and, uh, and we will insist on that. Now, currently, the national debt stands at about $29 trillion. The Bipartisan Policy Center estimates the ceiling would need to be raised by another trillion just to make it to January the 1st. It would take $2.4 trillion to make it through December 2022. Now, Brian, as you mentioned last night, a third option emerged getting rid of the filibuster, at least for the debt limit. That would mean the Democrats would no longer need 60 votes to advance the bill. The president called it a possibility. And, Brian, I can confirm that Senate Democrats did discuss this during their weekly lunch yesterday. Back over to you. All right. So let's let's get deep into our civics playbooks here, Alon, if you don't mind. I know it's 540 in the morning, but hey, why not? Uh, what would be involved in getting rid of the filibuster? How because you got me on the left. People are screaming, got to get rid of it. It's dated on the right. You're violating history. 
What would it take to get rid of the filibuster? Well, the first thing you got to do is get all 50 Democrats on board, Brian. There's no way you can come up with a procedural trick if you don't even have a majority of the Senate to do it. So you got to get Joe Manchin, you got to get Kirsten Sinema on board. And so far, they have been resistant to any kind of special carve-outs to the filibuster. We'll see if their minds change on October 17th at 11.59 p.m. when we're right up against that deadline. But for now, they have been against it. You also have to make sure you write the rules uh, properly. That's a negotiation with the Senate parliamentarian to make sure uh, that they can actually sort of cross all the T's, dot all the I's. So writing the language is tricky and then getting the agreement is also tricky as we get closer to October 18th. Yeah, and the Republicans played all kinds of games in years past. The Democrats said, well, they did it. Now the Democrats are going to play these games. And later on in the future, the Republicans will say, well, they did it. And that's how it's all going to go down, I think. Elon, thank Blame you. Blame game. <laughs> what? In D.C.? Never. It's always the other side's fault. Elon Moy, thank you very much. Never her fault, by the way. Beautiful shot of look at the Capitol over the building. Got the lights on it. Doing a little construction. It's a little reason to be optimistic. Elon, thank you. All right, coming up, the whistleblower, Facebook whistleblower, comparing the company to smoking or opioids and saying we need regulations but will the millions facebook spends on lobbying pay off with congress ending up doing nothing dow futures down nearly 400 or back right after this All right, welcome back facebook ceo mark zuckerberg finally popping his head up breaking his silence around the damning claims about how the company may be harming kids' and teens' mental health and promoting the spread of mis- or even disinformation. In a statement to employees that he posted, or else, on his Facebook profile, Zuckerberg says, quote, many of the claims don't make any sense. He also says, quote, the argument that we deliberately push content that makes people angry for profit is deeply illogical. Hmm. All this coming after whistleblower Francis Hogan told a Senate panel yesterday that Congress must take action, but stopping short of accusing top execs of intentionally creating harmful products, saying she ultimately said that Zuckerberg must take responsibility for the impact the company has on users, and the buck stops with him. Facebook shares, they are down again right now in the pre-market, although not any more than the overall NASDAQ futures. So let's talk about more about all this and bring in... James Chalkbach, he is a former sell-side analyst and now partner at Clockwise Capital, well-known face at CNBC. James, we're happy to have you back on, man. Thank you very much for getting up early. Um, is this going to be like pretty much everything else around Facebook over the last few years where people yell and scream and bang pots and pans and ultimately nothing ever happens? Well, I think you have to be honest with yourself here because... Too much time spent on people who spend too much time on social media are likely to be less happy than people who don't. Too much of anything is a bad thing. So when you look through the actual research documents that the whistleblower is talking about, I think there's little new revelations here. So there's a lot of political theater going on about this. And look, I'm no Facebook's cheerleader. Facebook is not perfect. But at the end of the day, there are two sides to every coin. It connects billions of people and it helps millions of businesses connect with their customers. So, you know, I don't think yeah. this should be a completely one-sided story. 
And that, and that is that is a key point because, you know, when there's been some other scandals, you have companies that come out and they say, we're going to stop advertising on this social media platform over this cause and whatever. There has been zilch. No company that I, maybe I'm missing something, Jim, and if I am, you tell me. No company, you know, Coke or UPS or Pepsi or FedEx or whatever it is, has come out and said, we are not going to advertise on Facebook until they solve these problems. Zip nada. There have been threats made, you know, back in like with YouTube several years ago, we're going to boycott these services. But at the end of the day, they're going to spend money where it works because it's all about ROI. If I'm getting a return on my spend, my money is going to go in that direction. And that money is going to go where the people are and where the engagement is. And as long as the user engagement doesn't fall off, that money is going to continue to flow. And as an investor, you really need to look at, yes, this Washington noise is going to continue. And it's probably going to continue for a while. But uh, you have to look at let the numbers guide you. And this is a company that's still growing its top line at 20%. It's trading at six, uh, 20 times earnings. So it, it's, it's, yeah. we still like it at these levels. But let's also forget about this controversy and talk about mm-hmm. the company's own deck. Some of the stuff that has been revealed, not only in this, but it's been that young people in their 20s, they're not on Facebook. Facebook's own projections show that user engagement among the young is going to drop or is dropping considerably. Instagram has been growing. Can we own the stock even if Facebook itself slows down, but Instagram he continues to heat up. Is, is that an, will they balance themselves out? I think the short answer is yes, uh, because um, they're also at the same time moving into commerce opportunities and new opportunities are emerging. But I think that's a that's a good point also, because you have to look at the fact that Facebook does have competition. You know, TikTok is surging. A lot of time is moving in that direction. At the same time, with the fallout with the servers on Monday, when all the systems shut down, you saw a Twitter spike, you saw a Signal spike, you saw a Telegraph spike. So all these ser- there are alternatives to Facebook. So Facebook has a lot of competition, but so long as um, they're able to expand and extract more value from their existing portfolio through new offerings, such as commerce with the Shopify integration and, and things of that nature, you know, the, the runway uh, still um, is, is there. I think from a yeah. regulatory standpoint, I'd say one thing. What they should focus on is data portability because the problem with these companies, with these big companies, is that you're stuck there. You're, you're locked in because all your information is there. If I can port my data to competing services, it would pose a, a bigger threat to these companies. That's a great point. Nobody wants to leave because maybe it is the only real game in town to hang out with their friends and, and connect. Facebook has always mm-hmm. won in the past, and it sounds like they might in the future. James Chalkbaugh, good to see you again, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're welcome. All right, on deck, your morning RBI, putting the incredible surge in global energy costs into perspective. Bank of America's Francisco Blanche is here to lay out what, if any, relief the world may see in the months ahead. And it's Hispanic Heritage Month. All month, we're spotlighting business leaders as well as our own friends and colleagues and contributors. Here's CNBC.com news editor, Fred Ember. 
take all the opportunities that come to you. If it's not something you end up doing for the rest of your life, it is something that you will learn from and take skills from for whatever your dream job is. It could also turn out that this opportunity is something that you really like and end up making a full career out of it. So just take advantage of all those opportunities as as they come along and uh, you'll be on the right track career-wise. Today's RBI is about power, or lack thereof. No, not political power, but power power. Because if you are not following the glowing, growing global energy crisis, you should be. This could end up very well being the biggest economic story in the world, and in fact, maybe already. And with so many things happening all at once, it may be hard to keep track, but don't worry. We can do it for you. It's why we're here. Here's the rundown of everything globally happening right now in about 45 seconds. U.S. energy prices, they are up. Oil nearing 80 bucks a barrel. Gasoline prices responding their highest level since 2014. And natural gas in the U.S., it's highest in a decade. But that is nothing compared to what is happening around the world. In the United Kingdom, natural gas prices have soared. In fact, on an equivalent basis on the spot market, it's trading at $200 a barrel of oil equivalent. Energy prices soaring as well, and now France may cut off power to the UK because of a fishing dispute. Oh, by the way, coal prices traded in Holland have nearly doubled in a month, up 90% in four weeks. Not much better in Asia. You've got rolling blackouts, a coal shortage as well. Liquid natural gas prices up above 30 US dollars equivalent. And by the way, India just has four days of coal stocks left to power some of its power plants. And there is no end in sight to much of this risk. If the weather turns colder as we head into winter, not only could they run out of power, but heating bills for tens of millions of people will soar. Oh, and by the way, remember that natural gas is a massive input cost in making nearly everything. This is a big story and likely to get bigger. And by the way, it's all happening right now As a climate summit, the world's biggest ever is about to start in Scotland at the end of October. Random, but interesting. So let's talk more now about all this and bring in Francisco Blanche. He is head of global commodity and derivatives research at Bank of America. Francisco, really appreciate you coming on again. I hope that, you know, everyone says, oh, it's TV. It's just hyperbole. And you're always trying to make a big deal out of nothing. Are we making a big deal out of nothing or is this actually a big deal? No, I, I don't think you are. This is uh, this is a big deal, and it's um, it's very problematic. Uh, although I don't think that uh, heading that, that the fact we are heading into the climate summit is necessarily that random. Um, I think there is there is little incentive on the part of, uh, of of the major energy producers to fix this crisis ahead of the uh, world uh, climate summit. Because remember, part of the reason we are where we are is because we haven't invested enough in um, hydrocarbon production, in thermal fuel production, uh, which are supposed to be phased out over the next uh, uh, 10 and 20 years as we aim to get to net zero emissions um, by 2050. So I think, I think we are uh, seeing probably the first uh, climate-linked uh, crisis. And, um, and, and as you pointed out, the uh, impact on the economy could be pretty drastic. As we like to say, we are one storm away from a major macro hurricane here. Yeah, and, and let's hope that and pray that does not happen. And I mentioned the climate summit because the focus on renewables, renewables are the future. 
Uh, they are amazing, but they can also be inconsistent. And part of the problem in Europe is that we haven't had the wind power generation anywhere near expectations. So there's suddenly this rush to buy whatever they can, whether it's coal or natural gas. I guess, Francisco, the question is, how long does this last? Is this kind of like a, a short-term panic buying that will ultimately ease? Or is this something that could stretch on for months? So, so the, the answer is it depends mostly on weather at this point. Uh, if we have a cold winter weather, we are going to come out of it with very low natural gas inventories again into 2022. So from our perspective, uh, we are very much depending, uh, dependent on the kind of uh, winter uh, that, that we face ahead of us. Um, and the other issue to, to consider here, which you know, go, goes a little beyond weather, is, is the fact that uh, we, we continue to maintain an extremely lax monetary and fiscal policy. Um, but as, uh, as I think everyone knows, you cannot print commodities. So the challenge we face here is yeah. inflation in the U.S. at 5.3 percent, in Germany at 4.1 percent. Um, the same policy tools that we used in the past to fix the uh, economic crisis uh, are not going to be very effective if uh, what we are facing here is a shortage of physical commodities. You cannot print oil, can't print copper, can't yeah. print natural gas. This is the big challenge right now. Uh, and I've got some good news and bad news. And by the way, you might recognize this piece of news from actually your own research. So I'm just going to quote you back to you, Francisco. I hope you don't mind. Which is, okay. in a couple of weeks, I am likely to go to London for the first time and, you know, since the, the global pandemic, which you might have heard about. And I only bring yeah. that up because so are a lot of people. International travel is set, assuming no other sort of major hiccups and, and, and COVID's resurgence, is going to boom very soon, which means jet fuel demand is going to boom. Is that part of the thesis for $100 plus barrels of oil in the United States? Because the, the marginal demand hasn't been there. If, if jets literally take off, what's going to happen to the price of jet fuel and oil? That, that's what we're really worried about. I mean, we, we have substitution from natural gas potentially into oil for a reason you pointed out at the beginning. We are creating over $200 a barrel of oil equivalent uh, in terms of European gas prices. Oil's just 80 bucks. Oil's a bargain compared to natural gas or electricity. Uh, second reason is uh, if we have a cold winter and we seem to be getting a little, uh, bit of an early cold start, uh, we're going to see incremental demand for fuel. And the third point you just highlighted, uh, we think there's maybe half a million barrels a day of incremental jet fuel demand lined up for, for uh, a pickup here if, if the U.S. reopens its borders by mid-November as uh, the Biden administration has uh, uh, been talking about. Uh, you know, remember, we were expecting $100 oil by next summer. Um, what I guess uh, could bring it forward, is bringing it forward, is this kind of gas crisis yeah. and, and the fear of a cold, cold winter weather. And, and frankly, the fact that things are, seem to be reopening a little faster. I, I did my first business trip last week to Paris, and uh, things are going to start picking up very soon uh, here, I think. Yeah, you might be right as well, Francisco. We're glad you're getting on the plane. And by the way, a lot of power plants in China talking about converting from gas back to oil or diesel fuel because they can't afford the gas. Francisco Blotch, Bank of America, a massive story. We appreciate you coming on, Francisco. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that does it for us. we got Dow futures down more than 1%. Tech futures off 1.5%. A big market day. Stay tuned to CNBC. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only 
on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.